Exponential family, we are back. My good friend, Ralph, more than a friend. He's like, I've adopted him as my spiritual papa and think he's adopted me, he said. I'm actually going to go hang out with him. He, he all vaccinated, everything vaccinated. We ready to roll. Um, but all that to say that I am super pumped. Um, I don't know if she know this, but uh, she's one of my heroes. Uh, her name is Nancy Ortberg. And if you don't know about her, uh, I don't know what, what rock you're up under because she's a party waiting to happen. Um, and we do know this. We do know that she lobbied to make sure that Exponential was able to come to the Bay Area. And so I am super pumped to to have Nancy to have some some FaceTime and, and really talk about what God is doing. What's going on, Nancy? Good to see you, my friend. Very good to be here with you guys. Yeah, likewise. Well, before we get into the conversation, we want to go over uh, what Exponential's theme has been even last year up until now, the idea of, of the great collaboration. Uh, we talk a lot about the great commission, uh, Matthew 28. It's clear. Um, the church doesn't have a mission, as Alan Hurst says, but the mission has a church. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the Great Commission, we're, all, we're obviously all invited into that. And then we talk about not just the Great Commission, but the Great Commandment. Uh, we ought to not be known by uh, no other, no, nothing other than the way that we love each other. That's what Jesus said, that when we love each other well, it's the greatest witness. It's the greatest marketing tool that the church could ever have. But then lastly, what we often neglect and don't think about, as uh, Ferguson talks a lot about, is the great collaboration. Mm -hmm. I love what, uh, what's her name? Uh, Mother Teresa, the saint of the gutters. Here's what she said. She mm -hmm. says, I can do what you can't do. You can do what I can't do, but together we can do great things. And I think more than ever in this world of uh, the last year of COVID, politics, racial, racial disparities, what other message do we need um, right now in this time other than the power of the great collaboration? Something Nancy uh, knows about. Um, like we said, she, she lobbied to get Exponential in the Bay Area. And I would absolutely like to start off there, Nancy. Tell us, tell us how in the world you were able, because I'm still trying to get Exponential to Omaha. I'm just, but, but so, well, so tell me. Omaha, how, Bay <laughs> Area, Bay Area, Omaha. I'll leave it at that. Right. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I would I would choose the Bay Area. Um, There's five times as many people in Omaha as the Bay Area. Everybody knows that. You think? <laughs> I don't know. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you all have the Pacific. Oh, oh that's us. Never mind. No, um, no. See, we're going to start. We're going to start this off right, Nancy. We just did, my friend. We just did. <laughs> Yeah, it was incredible. So the organization I have been with for the last five years has been doing some early work around church planting and trying to locate the church planters in the Bay Area, bring them together. And we had a couple of think tanks, leadership learning communities, and we'd get 50, 75 people that were either actually planting or from the sending agencies. It just became clear we needed help and I don't remember who it was from Exponential, but somebody contacted us to see if we would be willing to work with them and do a regional up here. And I said, we need you guys so badly. I'll do anything. We'll do anything we can. And uh, they really took a risk because I know to make something like that happen, to break even, you need a certain amount of people. And there was just no way we could guarantee that. And they saw this as R&D because it's, you know, the, the kingdom soil out here is a little like cement. 
and bringing them in, you know, we went from what we were doing to, I think, 250 the first time we opened the doors and gathered. And, you know, we, we've done it three years in a row and uh, they have brought, y'all have brought such value to the Bay Area in regards to church planting. We're so grateful. So tell us a little bit about um, just your specific role um, with, with the work that's been done in the Bay Area. Sure. And maybe, and maybe a cool story. Yeah. So I work with an organization called Transforming the Bay with Christ, TBC for short. And it's really about bringing a holistic gospel movement to the 11 counties and 256 cities in the Bay Area. It's anchored by the large urban communities of San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose. And uh, we work through three streams, Unify, which is where we bring pastors into networks together, Amplify, where we look at the work being done around unhoused people, foster care, um, COVID relief currently, as well as education, but then Multiply, which is church planting and evangelism. And uh, Part of what's been interesting over the last five years is to watch a little bit of the progression from tribalism to um, invitationalism. So early on, many of the regions in the Bay Area sort of felt threatened by or not welcoming to young people coming in, starting a new church or anybody. We don't need any more churches. We're fine. And I'm thinking, you know, if you take the population of the Bay Area and divide it by the number of churches we got room for a lot more churches. But then we'd come across other leaders who surprised us, who would come across a young guy coming into plant who was not from their denomination, not affiliated with them in any way, would take them under their wing, would tell their story on Sunday morning, would invite people from their church that lived in the zip code where the other guy was planting to give them a year and go with them, to donate old equipment that was still usable to them. Um, to give on a regular basis and to really support them and make them feel like you're not alone, you're connected and we're for you. And that shift is taking place and it's so exciting to see. I think it's making the soil ready to take even more planters. Nancy, that is really cool to hear. I, I read a story about uh, on your website about a, a man from Nigeria. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've done quite a bit with, with Nigerians that are planting in London um, but kind of tell us his story because his story sort of puts what you just said on steroids. And then the other thing that I would like to ask from you is to talk a little bit about the, the obstacles, but the how-tos, but, but frame it this way. I, I, I live in San Diego. There, mm -hmm. there is a, a church planting network that meets twice a year. And that doesn't get a whole lot of momentum going. Mm. Um, suppose that I had come here scratch, you know, I've got some experience and I wanted to try to organize. I don't have a whole lot of resources, but I, I, I just, where do I start? You know, that kind of thing. So tell us the story about the guy from Nigeria, because I think that's a, a story people need to hear. It's exciting. Well, actually, why don't you tell it? And then I'm going to bounce off of that and tell you how he got there. Okay. Well, I read it last night and uh, I just doing a little prep for this. And my understanding was he came to the United States, to the East Coast, to Plant Church. He and his wife were both attorneys. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a similar story from Ghana that happened in Hawaii. Uh, there's a, we're, we're receiving missionaries now in our country. I, 
I met one guy from yeah. a huge church in Nigeria about 12 years ago in D.C., and he was one of 150 missionaries from his church to our country. I coached a guy in, in Hawaii who came from Ghana, and he was an IT specialist. He lived in Atlanta for a while, big church there, part that was an offshoot from Ghana. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, But they were in all 50 states except Hawaii and Alaska. And on one Sunday, they sent people out to Hawaii and Alaska. And, and you know, intentionally bivocational, making his way forward. And so these kinds of things are happening. So I saw that this man then got called from what looked very successful in the East Coast to show up where you are. And then since then, he's planted a number of churches out of his Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of thing that sets the world on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, with the pastors networks that we have in the Bay Area right now, we're close to 27 or 28 pastors networks. The, the man who leads that organization, that part of our organization, John Talbert, has a, a vision for 40 because that'll have every pastor in the Bay Area within a 20 minute drive should they choose to join the network. But we also have an additional seven or eight ethnic networks who've come to us and said we're spread out all over the Bay Area. We want to be together. And one of them is African nations, not African-American, but African nations. And there's a collection of these men and women who come from Nigeria and Chad and DRC and Senegal. And there are there's a huge population of these people in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And they are doing they're doing the kind of work that 98 percent of the rest of the churches in the Bay Area can't do. And so to bring them into the fold, make them feel welcomed and supported, to add value to them, to encourage them, to find funding sources for them, it just makes them flourish. That's wonderful. That is really wonderful. Yeah. So what I, what I had it picked up before was you just talked about, what, 28 smaller networks. Mm-hmm. So, again, I think our, our listeners would benefit from a, a little bit about how, how does a smaller network get going? You know, what, what, mm-hmm. are, what are startup issues? What are, what are the, you know, the quick wins and yeah. what are the obstacles that get in the way? And, um, you know, you, you, you have some guy in say Albuquerque who, who just needs to hear, uh, well, yeah, this is really great, but what do I do next? Yeah. It's a lot of questions in there, so hopefully I will be able to get to them. Um, Again, the man in our organization, John Talbert, who had um, the job initially to get these networks started, what he's great at is relationships. And he has a nose for what we call kingdom-minded leaders, leaders who are not just worried about the four walls of their own church, but really looking at the geography and saying, my geography mandates my mission. And so... Um, You know, it took a couple of years to build trust, to get to know the regions, to find the right leaders, to convince these leaders that on top of leading their church, they might have time to build a network in their area. You know, Dallas Willard says that the number one job of every pastor, number one job, is to pray for the other pastors in his community. I mean, that's, that's pretty revolutionary. And we have networks now that will, every Sunday, mention another church in the area and have a brief prayer time together as a way of envisioning the people to say, it's not just about our church. Um, We have pulpit swaps that are happening. We have um, shared sermon series that are getting written and preached in the same areas on the same topics. So these networks took a while to um, get the ground tilled. And then what we say is the core of all these networks is relationship, encouragement, and prayer. That's the core. 
That's just, that's where it has to start. That has to be the initial magnet that brought, brings people in. But then over time, we want to migrate them to um, collaborative cause. What's something that you can all do together, the way we put it, that will change the conversations of the city officials in your zip codes? That they'll go from completely overlooking churches to calling each other and pulling each other aside and saying, man, if you don't have churches at the table, you will simply not solve the, the city's biggest problems. So to make it a safe place for pastors to join, but then also to call them to a mission and vision beyond themselves, that, that one-two punch is just really kind of what we were made for as being made in the image of God. So I, what I hear, uh, I mean, coming from kind of my perspective and where I've lived my life, what I hear first is don't expect something to happen overnight. You know, you're, you're, yeah, you're yes. It, takes a couple of years. So don't get off of this webinar and run out and go, we're going to change the world and get discouraged. Yeah. And then the second thing is that until you started really talking about what can we do to totally change things in the community, nothing you said costs money. No. And I think that's hugely no. important. Yeah. To, to, it's all relationship and it's yeah. all sharing and love. And, you know, the ideas of of focusing on a different church in the community every Sunday in, in your church is absolutely foreign to a lot of people, but mm -hmm. there, there's, there's, I'm coaching some guys now that are trying to do what Myron does, launch into how to use micro church as a platform mm. for church planting. Yes. And then they come back to like, all oh, these great guys in my church. There's no motivation. They're, they're all too happy. But you start praying for the other churches in the community. You start to get eyes off ourselves. Yes. 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 No, and what you said just a minute ago, um, I should have this on the top of my head, but it's either Habakkuk or Zechariah, where those beautiful words where God says to the people when they see the ruins of the temple coming back from exile. Yeah. And he says, get excited when you see Zerubbabel coming with a plumb line. Yeah. Well, who gets excited over a plumb line? That's kind of ridiculous. And then he goes on to say, do not despise the day of small things. Those of us that are catalysts for change, we always love exponential change. Of course we do. That's the name of your conference. Um, not only is there nothing wrong with incremental change, often incremental change is what greases the flywheel to get more catalytic change to happen. And whether it does or not, it's where our faithfulness lies. That's where our faithfulness lies. And then um, when it comes to collaborative cause, one of the things that we've run into, there's a church in San Jose called Cathedral of Faith. It's probably the largest church in the Bay Area. It's just, it's run by a pastor named Ken Foreman, who is seriously one of the most gifted and humble people I've ever met. They have a feeding program there that's remarkable. It's like a machine. And they have partnered a Second Harvest, which is the largest secular food bank in the Bay Area, was so impressed by what they are doing. They moved their headquarters across the street from the church to partner with them. They, they serve the neighborhood. They also serve the school districts. So I'm so excited. You're partnering with government. You're partnering yeah. with school districts. Tell me about the churches you're partnering with. Churches won't partner with us. Yeah. Yeah. What? I think the smaller churches are afraid their people are going to then go to that church. Mm -hmm. So well, then when you get volunteers, you just tell them, please don't come to our church. Please stay at your church. But let's work together. Yeah. That's really good. Myron, what do you got? Nice to um yeah, uh, a couple of questions. When you, when you think about building networks, and I know Dave Ferguson talk, has talked about a lot about this over the last year um, with the whole great collaboration. Mm -hmm. What 
what what comes first? And I'm asking you this for a specific reason. I'm a young dude in my city. I've seen networks come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so my question is, is what what comes first? What comes first? Does unity comes first or calls? Is it is it collaborative <laughs> calls or is it unity? What which which one have you seen? It's create the chicken, synergy? Myron. The chicken comes first. <laughs> That's what it is. That's a great question. It's like when Max Dupree got asked, are leaders born or made? And his answer was yes. Yes. I honestly believe. um, I I honestly believe it's possible that it's both, that it's both because there's a certain kind of person that's wired and is going to say, man, I'm coming for relationships and that's where they need to start. Another more activist person is going to come for the collaborative cause. And the hope is that they both see the value in the other thing and add that to their repertoire as well. But um, uh, the unity piece is so important. When you think about John 17, here's what's really curious about that passage. It's Jesus's last public prayer. And he picks a topic and he repeats that word multiple times in John 17. He picks a topic to pray for that he simply never talked about in the gospels. Like who does that? You know, if you're a leader, you build your momentum on the topics and the themes. All of a sudden, out of left field, he starts talking about the U word. Like, what is what is happening? And then in the first verse in chapter 18, the evil one has him on the way to the cross. There, I believe there's an uncommon unity that Jesus was praying for that we have not seen very much of that has the power to unlock the church to be the unstoppable force it was always meant to be. I think Jesus, I think the evil one saw all the things that Jesus did and thought, I can block that. I can get in the way of that. I can get the Pharisees to argue against that. I think when he heard the word unity, the way Jesus meant it, it's like all bets are off. We got to get him to the cross because that will ruin me. And unity, man, unity takes maturity. It takes a lot of maturity. Uh, I think going back to Dallas's statement, number one job of a pastor is to pray for the other pastors. He said the reason is it drops walls, it drops ego, and it puts your interiority, your soul in the right place to be and preach the kingdom of God. So, um, can I can I can I ask a controversial question? Please do. All right. So, what I've not seen. Uncommon unity. I like that. I might write a book to roll on that one. Great. Well, I will sue you. My lawyers will call you and sue you. So. No. Oh dang! You already did it. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I am not writing any more books. No more books for me. Uh. Uh-uh. Here, say I've say that again. I just dro- you just dropped out. So, like, here's where I've seen uncommon unity yeah. um, <laughs> not be a reality. Is I've seen networks built. I've seen homogenous networks built mm-hmm. that are primarily led by the majority. Yes. And then I, as a person of color, am invited to that table. Mm-hmm. Right. But the table is already built before I get there. Yeah. Which means it's hard to be a part of something that was built without my input. And then um, furthermore, yeah. when you be- I love, the way, you guys jam, so I love like, the way you guys jam four questions into one. I'm just going to write notes. So please yeah, yeah. keep going. No, this makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then and then oftentimes people of color are then elevated to 
governing positions of networks. And then consequently, when input is, is provided, sometimes you don't feel heard. So here's my question. Here's my question. Where have you seen diverse networks built that reinforces real uncommon unity that results in uncommon impact? Where, where is it working? Because sometimes I, it's hard to see it. Oh, it, I love that question. I, you need to write that question down because we need to spend some more time after this is over on that question when we talk, just you and I. Um, I, ha- I will be honest with you. And first of all, I love that you're asking a middle-aged white woman, middle-aged, that's generous, um, on the high side of middle-aged. Uh, you're, you're a young girl. Yeah. Yeah. But let's just put it this way. I have my second COVID vaccine done because of my age category. So we'll just go with that. Okay. I'm immune two days from now. I'm done. (laughs) Myron, I would say I have only seen glimpses even now. I mean, we're only five years into this. I have seen glimpses, just glimpses. I have seen some pastors networks when I walk in there that are exactly what you described that are, they look alike, they talk alike, they walk alike. um, And what I feel like I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to me is you, you see the vision that we all hope for and it's got to start somewhere. And then I tell the Holy Spirit, yes, but where you start can often define the trajectory. So you have to have a leadership team that's willing to keep building the table as more people come to the table. But I've also walked into a couple of pastors networks, one in East Palo Alto, one in Oakland, where I've been like, oh, Oh, this right here, this it's, it's just the beginning, but this, and there's Latino and there's African-American and there's a couple of disabled pastors and it's breathtaking, but you're right. There's not enough at tipping point yet. And I think your point about uh, the table got built before I came. That's true of almost everything, unless you start it. That's really just true of life in general. So how do you as a leader come in knowing that's reality? You know, Max Dupree says first job of a leader is to define reality and then saying, is this the kind of place is the leadership such that they are going to be open, not just put me in a governing position where I'm a token, but as soon as I give feedback, are they really and genuinely open to feedback? And again, that's where the interiority of the leader that we really are being shaped by the image of the kingdom of God and Jesus um, would cause many leaders to lean into that and and then to have to be able to have difficult conversations for you to be able to say to me I don't think you listen to me and as a person of color it's hard for me not to take that personally and for me instead of getting defensive say ah I don't like to think of myself as a person that would do that but you experienced that me that way tell me more and we have those ongoing conversations because if you're going to build something that's that breathtakingly beautiful, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fast. Um, uh, Andy um, Stanley is, uh, has often been asked the question about revival, and I love his answer. He said, anywhere there's revival, 20 years later, there's not. And what we're looking for is chronic faithfulness. And how do we, as people of different colors, with the history of an embedded racism in our country, listen to each other. Here's my favorite example. When Jesus chose his disciples, and again, 
there are some people that say, you know, he was just super prayerful about it. There's only one gospel that presents that perspective. The other three gospels really make it look like he just started walking down the street and pointing his finger and saying, I can do this with anybody, which is theologically very correct if you think about it. But he chose Matthew, the tax collector and Simon, the zealot. Philosophically, politically, diametrically opposed to each other to be on his team. Can you even imagine the conversations that happened? You fill in the blank of all the things that we disagree over in Christendom, and it would be like putting two churches on opposite ends of the political, racial spectrum and all kinds of other spectrums together to say, if you've got Jesus in common, everything else is secondary and tertiary, and that's where uncommon unity happens. Not when you argue about secondary issues and tertiary issues, but when you stay core to the gospel and build your unity around that. That is that is absolutely beautiful. Um, talk to us a little bit more about um, maybe there's maybe there's a pastor watching mm. or catching a replay, and they're on an island, and they want to see they want to see dynamic, uh, collective, climactic change in their city, but they're on an island. Um, but there may be a little reserved about the idea of either joining a network or starting a network. Mm-hmm. What, I don't know, what words of wisdom would you offer that leader? Oh, that's good. I've never been asked that question before. That's a good one. Um, for starting a network, it would very much be some stuff we talked about earlier. How do you find the kingdom minded leaders? How do you get a vision for, we're going to start with this is our core and then move to collaborative cause, collaborative faith and work generosity, all the things that a church should be, um, and then gather like-minded people. And, but uh, the reluctance to join a network, I kind of get. When I was first approached to possibly consider throwing my hat in the ring to lead this organization, I said, no. And I said a word in front of that that I'm not going to repeat. But I said, I could not be less interested in a unity movement. Because here's what I've seen. They get together twice a year for prayer. They eat bad chicken. They leave thinking something happened and nothing happened. Nothing happened. And so, you know, I had to watch the leaders of this organization talk about their vision before I realized, oh, they don't see unity that way. They really don't. They see it very differently. And I would love to be a part of that. Um, So starting your own is a great idea. Put a leadership team around you. Don't do it yourself. Uh, Don't... um, don't, don't underestimate gifts like hospitality and encouragement alongside of leadership and administration to make for a great leadership team that can sustain over time. Find another network that you admire and be a student of that and give it a shot. Be ready to make mistakes. Be ready to celebrate and keep going. Because you so, have, if, so if you believe far. that unity can lead to this power being released, then it's worth a try. That's so good. So let me ask you this: What if, what if, what if, what if there's a leader that's listening? What if there's a leader that's listening that's like, um, okay, like I've seen the whole network thing happen. Like we're on the third or fourth cycle of the idea of a network. Well, third or fourth cycle of the idea of a network in our city, and it has not, you know, it has not yielded the impact that maybe that leader had imagined yeah. and that yeah. leader possibly feels 
a little bit more jaded and skeptical about the idea of a network. What, how would you respond to that? Mm. Um, couple of things. The first is when you go to a Chinese restaurant and the food's not good, do you never go eat Chinese food again? No, you try another place. You try again because food's good. And um, I really believe we had um, one of our advisory board members come talk at one of our pastor's gatherings. He's a executive at Google, very devout follower of Jesus. He said, the number one thing I hire for is um, perseverance. I can teach competency. But I asked people, what's the hardest thing you've ever gone through that you're willing to tell me about and how'd you get through it? And he said, he'll have candidates tell him, you know, I didn't make the varsity basketball team. And in his mind, he's like, oh, I'm done. I'm done. But people that have really, you know, that you've tried it three or four times and given up, try it a fourth time. Figure out, figure out what you can learn from what didn't go right and give it some space, time, pray about it, wait and try it again. Because this unity thing, it means something. Jesus, he, he wasted his last prayer on that word. And it has the potential to release a tsunami of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I do think the evil one will use any obstacle he can to say, well, that didn't work. That didn't work. Better not try that again. And then I do think there's also some great wisdom in realizing that a lot of things we think didn't have impact actually did. You know, we're called to plant seeds. We're called to consider the nature of yeast. Um, I'd rather talk about seismic shifts and tsunamis because I like big change. And Jesus relentlessly talked about the disproportionate impact of small things. I grew up in a church in Norwalk, California, with between 50 and 75 people, with a bivocational pastor who ran a tool and die shop. It was, besides a couple of key relationships in my life, the single most important spiritual home that I had growing up. Changed my life. It wasn't a huge church. It was a faithful church. And it was a home. It was a family. All right, so can I rock the boat a little bit? Yeah. Can I, can I rock the boat? Okay, so listen. So we we um we just got through selling celebrating Black History Month, mm -hmm. and, and now we're celebrating women and yeah. um the, the the things that the progress that's happened um as a result of women um really owning their call and like responding to the vision of God and our country and all that stuff. Um, I think it's pretty dope that you're leading an organization mm. and maybe there, maybe there are women leaders who have been um, manipulated into assuming that um, somehow leadership gift has passed over women and mm. landed in the lap of men, um, ironically. But what encouragement would you give to women leaders who feel a call to see seismic change happen, mm -hmm. shifts occur, networks birthed. Where, what would you encourage them to be thinking about, dreaming about, praying about, et cetera? Yeah, great question. Okay, I'm gonna start with what I would say to men because um, that's often where the bottleneck happens. I think to understand, and there are a lot of great resources to understand the biblical arc of slavery, the biblical arc of women, that scripture is taking us to a place when Acts, it says that Christ's coming waits for the day that men and women prophesy together. And then our systems keep that from happening. 
So I think for men to understand that women share the same spiritual gifts that they do, and that, again, I believe a tactic of the evil one is to dismiss spiritual gifts in some people so they stay marginalized. It's to get us discouraged because something didn't work two, three, or four times. And uh, I think the perseverance to go through it, I think for women to find their voice and use it. I heard a, a young woman say one time when she was being interviewed about a book she had written, thank you for giving voice to those who don't have a voice. And I loved her answer. She said, that's not what I do at all. And the interviewer said, no, actually, that's what I love about your work. You're giving a voice to the voiceless. She said, oh, they have voices. We're not listening. We're not listening to them. And why in the world, you know, uh, Max Dupree, who was a mentor of mine for years, said, if God can speak to Balaam through the mouth of an ass, he can speak to me through anybody. So what might happen with the gospel if we activated everybody's spiritual gift if we built into their interiority so their soul was coming out of a place deeply anchored in Jesus, imagine. I mean, I don't think any of us didn't have women leaders and teachers along the way that made a huge impact in our lives. And I don't think we need to be afraid of men and women working together. I think it's a great joy. I think it's wonderful. And I think it's a picture of the kingdom of God. I think for men to start thinking about how do I make space and room at the table and how do I make sure we have those discussions at the table and not out on the golf course? And how do I find what are all my internal biases towards women that I may not even be aware of? And I think that's a good place to start, but you're asking the right question. You know, we have these issues. Uh, I never, well, I lived in Hawaii. I never heard these words. I, I went to a Bible college. I didn't go to a seminary. Mm -hmm. um, uh, egalitarian, I guess, yeah. I understood yeah. that word but complementarian, mm -hmm. uh, that one's a new one for me. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, but what about Margaret Thatcher? Um, what about Junia and Romans or, yeah. yeah. She and Ronald Reagan and the Pope changed the world. Yeah. And, uh, but we can't trust women to be anything other than help. You know, I'm so thankful for people like you doing the kinds of things that you're well, doing. I'm thankful for a board that decided to go that direction. Yeah. Yeah, that shared that vision. You know, to, to me, again, I'm always thinking of the little guy that how do we, how do we, how do we duplicate what, what we're yeah. seeing, what we're hearing? Yeah. And, and I, can, I can easily answer Myron uh, when we're talking about the racial issue. Mm -hmm. just, and it simply is just go drink a bunch of coffee with the right guys. Oh, a beer. A beer, so, but sure. A beer, yeah. <laughs> That's what I normally say, but <laughs> I'm in a situation where I got to zip it. Um, that That's a little harder for a woman because it, it can be misconstrued, all that kind of stuff. But that really kind of does need to happen. If there's, yes. you know, it, it, I, I just heard a story and this is, this is so extreme. It's, it's nuts. Um, a bad story. Uh, a friend of mine is starting a church in the deep South. This is actually his hometown. It's where he was a KKK member mm -hmm. and a heroin addict when he was a kid. And he, Jesus found him. And mm -hmm. anyway, he's moving from Michigan back home. And he's got all this incredible network of relationships. Good things are really happening. Now they're trying to find a place to meet. They didn't been doing anything digitally and in houses. And they found that there's a large church in the community that has gone around and um, they're, they're multi-site. And so they've, they've rented all these locations, but then even for like off time rentals, 
you, if you're going to rent to them, you sign a contract, you'll rent to no other church. My, my instant response to that is, well, go drink coffee with that pastor yeah. and, and build a relationship instead of being angry. And, 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 you know, I'd like to choke the guy and I live 2000 miles away, <laughs> but instead of giving into that, go, go hang out, go have yeah. a beer or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But for, for a woman to do that sometimes is she's going to be put down she misunderstood whatever um and i and i understand this is probably kind of an unfair question to ask you but i just would really like you to any wisdom that you have because there's like there's a there's a a woman in the bay area named dory ewens yeah i know dory oh she's amazing in berkeley she's not a pastor well she she, she kind of is because yeah. she's not allowed to say that word. Yeah. So she's yeah. a leader, she's a whatever, but she's not a pastor. Yeah. She's one of the finest people I ever oh. knew. And, and she's doing amazing things. And she's tough to nails too, yeah. by the way. Yep. Um, one of my heroes. But, yeah. uh, you know, how, how does, let's say, let's say Dory as an example. And mm-hmm. this is unfair in a sense to Dory because I don't know anybody else in Berkeley but Dory. Mm-hmm. But how does she get something started because that's what really needs, I think, to happen. If it's going to, I mean, she's a racial minority and yes. she's a woman yes. and, and the tokenism thing is so strong in so many places. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where do we go? How do we get going? Well, and, and, you know, I'd love to, I, I will follow up with Dory. You know, we've got networks over there. I mean, the choice is you can start one or you can join one. And when you join one, I think sit down with the leadership team and have a great conversation. Like, here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid as a woman, I will get marginalized. I'm afraid as a woman, my voice won't be heard. Um, And that just all feels anti-kingdom. Can we have a conversation about how um, this network would be able to assimilate me and I would be able to lead in this network in ways that would advance the gospel? To have those conversations. Um, because Dory would be a great addition to any network. She's incredibly dynamic and humble and kind and fierce. Yeah. And we we yeah. did an event with Exponential and uh, she was suffering from a brain tumor, which since has been resolved. Mm-hmm. And she flew all the way from India to wherever we were meeting, New York City, I think. And, and showed up like six hours after the flight and, and, and endured this thing. It's like, this is an amazing person. Yeah, yeah. And for, to both you and Ralph and Myron, uh, the, the tension is for, uh, for change to happen, for it to get embedded, for it to cause momentum, we have to be able to call Dory a pastor. We have to be able to invite women and men and people of color to the same network. And we also have to remember that what Dory did on that plane, I mean, nobody knew about that till you just told that story. Jesus had to be thrilled. And that's enough too. That's enough too. So it's, it's living in between those two realities and realizing that in our short lifetimes, we will only be be able to accomplish as Cesar Romero said, uh, Archbishop Cesar Romero, not the actor. Um, Uh, we will only be able to accomplish a small piece of the kingdom of God. And our appetites and our longings are so much bigger than that, understandably so. But, um, but the questions you guys are asking really ought to shape our networks to say, we want this to be a reflection of the kingdom of God in these networks. Yeah. 
where our churches may not be able to be as much because demographically they're laid out in neighborhoods that have hundreds of years of history behind them. Our networks can look like we want our churches to look someday. That's possible. And then I don't know, just I wanna, you got, I'll let you guys watch the time. But one of the uh, questions that we talked about ahead of time thinking through is how do networks really equally value different church models and different church sizes? You know, I mentioned I grew up in a small church. I have a very big heart for that. And in an ecosystem, our small churches play an utterly invaluable role. Now, here's the thing. You can cultivate an ecosystem, but you can't control it. And when we cultivate it, we have to equally raise the value of all different sizes of churches and all different models of churches, from mega churches to multi-site churches to medium-sized churches to home churches and micro churches. It, it's all good. It all counts. It's all going to be a magnet for different types of people that need to hear about Jesus. Um, last year, just a few months before my father-in-law passed away, my husband took him on a trip, a dream trip he'd always had down to the Galapagos Islands. And my husband said one night, one of the naturalists was giving a lecture on the biodiversity down there. And for just a couple minutes, he talked about a particular colony of beetles. Now, nobody goes to the Galapagos Islands to see the beetles. <laughs> but he said this particular type of beetle, if that colony ever collapses, within 20 years, the entire ecosystem of the Galapagos Islands would collapse, yeah. all of it. And I just heard that and I thought that that's what our small churches are. That's how vital they are to the infrastructure that holds an ecosystem together. And we are never more like Jesus when we see all different kinds of churches and bring an equality of vision to those. Mm -hmm. um, we're, yeah, yeah. In 1983, George Barna wrote, a, it, it, it was published with like plastic spiral binding it's before he really got into the business. I remember those. Uh, it was a, it was a probably a 200 page paper, but it was called um, we have seen the future, the death of the church in Los Angeles County. Mm. And he said, and, and sadly I, I was named in it as one of the culprits, but he said the larger churches mm. are swallowing up the smaller churches. The smaller yeah. churches are the roots to the tree. The larger yes. churches are the, are the part that we all see. And the larger churches do things. This caused me to be very cautious. The larger churches do things that they think will help the small churches. Mm. But in effect, what it, what it causes is a, is a membership transfer. People, yeah. you know, attend yeah. the big deal yeah. and then yeah. think, oh, I'm going there with yeah. my family. When we moved to Hawaii, we, in our first year, we threw this big, in Hawaii, they have a, you have a, a luau for your family when your baby reaches one year, because in the past, so many babies didn't get to be one year old, yeah. they died. So we throw this big luau and we'd already started a couple of churches in that first year. And one of our churches, they brought their whole congregation and we begged them don't come. But two of their board members decided to join our church and we begged them don't come. But what, what you're talking about, the Beatles in the Galapagos, what Barna was talking about, is something that, that makes us realize there's a, there's a fragility to this yes. ecosystem called church. Yes. And we have to endorse it. We have to yes. And you can see where if these pastors are gathering together in networks once a month or once, however often they do, that's going to be a lot less likely to happen. Yes. They're going to understand what obstacles they all face individually, uniquely, and similarly. Yeah. yeah. That's 
really wonderful. That's really good. Nancy, can you talk to us about the importance of um, maybe allowing for church planting to be uh, one of the linchpins of, of the network and, oh, and why that matters? To. I'd love to. So part of our vision, and again, we work very hard to be collaborative in our vision, is to start the networks with encouragement, relationships, and prayer, and then to think, what is God? what was God's vision for the church? And we're not going to get this all right, and I'm sure we're leaving stuff out, but we've thought about five things that would be so healthy, we think, if pastors' networks could gravitate towards them, collaborative cause. How do we do stuff together that really helps our city? And one of the things I'll say is to our pastors' networks, while we're, we're sitting here talking about collaborative cause, there are single moms out there wondering if anybody's going to help them figure out how they're going to feed their kid tomorrow. So let's stop arguing too much about what, and let's get out there and figure out the why and do it. The second thing is, and these are not in any particular order, they're all ways of thinking about discipleship. The second one is um, data. How do we use data? How do we use really good information to make decisions about what ministries would be most necessary for our zip codes, what sermon series would help? How do we collectively get around that? And we're partnering with Glue, G-L-O-O, as one place to do that. And we're just still trying to figure out what that all means. But how do we gain information specific to the macro regions in the Bay Area? Um, and then a third one is generosity. You know, what would it be like if everybody in the Bay Area who's not a Christian knew a Christian who was so generous, it made them curious? Like, generosity has such a power to get people's attention. And one of the decisions we made early on in TBC is we are going to limit our budget so that we're not absorbing massive amounts of resources in the Bay Area, that people can come and hear the work we do and get excited and say, man, we'd love to donate. And we get to say, we don't need your money. But what do we just talk about that you're passionate about? Senior pastor sustainability, let me introduce you to the people doing that work. Foster care, let me introduce you to the best people in the Bay Area doing that work. Church planting, let me show you where to go to make a difference in church planting. So this generosity piece, um, faith and work. I really believe in a post-Christian culture, which for sure the Bay Area is smack in the middle of, that beyond the life of the mind, which is a great apologetic, and I think we ought to leverage that, the new apologetic is rapidly going to faith and work and serving the marginalized and the poor. Dallas Willard said, your number one place of discipleship is your workplace. So how do we equip pastors to take that very seriously? And then the last one is collaborative church planting. When you have networks, not thinking tribally, but looking at their borders and welcoming in the newcomers and fostering together who's going to own which plant and how can we all help them together, now you have a system where flourishing can happen and learning can happen. What models are working in our area? Um, you know, I think the number one uh, obstacle besides money and a team that church planters uh, face is discouragement. Well, let's just take that one right out of the equation as best we can. You got a whole network of people around you checking in on you, re resourcing you, helping you, cheering you on. Um, so this collaborative church planting, I think, has the potential. And we have a young man named Toby Kurth in our organization that oversees evangelism and church planting. And he's working on partnering with another organization to get a heat map for the Bay Area so we can see where all the new plants are, where the gaps are, what models are working where, and really help us all have a vision for a greater geography. 
That's good. We have we have two questions from our audience, and I want to make sure that that they're noticed and heard and valued. The first question was around what um, resources or books um, when it comes to um, women in history that have mm. done great things, and then also just resourcing in terms of how to think theologically um, about um, just resourcing in women. The second question would be um, someone who's writing from the Midwest. Uh, says, hey, there's been a shift towards smaller community community churches. Are you also seeing this shift along the West Coast, especially since the churches in this network that are more open to uh, a diverse communities, what they say? So yeah. are you seeing that? So resources and are you seeing uh, a, a bent towards smaller communities of church? And why is it when somebody asks you for resources, all the resources you hold in your head just go... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so frustrated with yeah. myself right now. So... Um, there's there's so many out there. Um, uh, I know there's a, a a sermon series called Men and Women in Ministry that my husband did, where he actually takes the biblical passages and exegetes through them. That I think is very helpful. Um, there's a book that got edited. Uh, I'm gonna do some work and get them back to you because right on the moment, I'm forgetting the names. And there's one that also traces the arc of slavery and women in the Bible, which is so fascinating. Um, mm. uh, Biblical Community by Bill Zekian yeah. is still a, a classic. It's um, a classic, yeah. It's a classic. It's, it's hard to read. It's thick. Um, but there's a couple that have been edited by women that are fabulous right now, and I'm just blanking. And then there's um, a website called The Junius Project, um, yeah, Honia Project. Yeah. Honia Project. So good. They, yeah. You know what? They would have resources on their website that I'm trying to remember right now. But because I've got my second COVID shot, we're going to go with that. Um, I'm just not, <laughs> I'm, I'm blanking on something that I should be holding right here. Are we seeing a switch to smaller communities out here on the West Coast? I think so. I, or in the Bay Area. I think maybe. Um, but I'm not sure yet. I do know that they're probably per square mile are less mega churches in the Bay area than in the South, especially, you know, in Dallas, there's one on every corner. I do think in a post-Christian culture, uh, mega churches tend to be viewed through the lens of suspicion and cynicism by those who aren't a part of them. Um, so I do think, and I do think a number of churches in the Bay area who've chosen to go the multi-site route actually did it for that very reason to say, we're not going to use all our resources to build a bigger and bigger one edifice. We're going to do smaller churches out in the community that can meet those needs. But there's a CJ Bergman has a church in Golden Gate Park where they're out with the homeless and the unhoused almost daily. They know that I've walked with them on the streets. They know the names of these people. There's um, uh, We Are Church or We Church with Kevin Kim and Francis Chan doing home churches. And there's another home church network down in San Jose. The, what they can do is really amazing. They can pivot, they can minister quickly to their community needs. So I think we need, I think we don't necessarily need to shift all towards one direction. I think we need the full spectrum of all the beautiful expressions of the church. And every one of them is going to have pros and cons, every model. That's really good. I, I know, I know we have a, a few more minutes um, and I, I'd like to land us with this question, Nancy, if you will. Um, with with the organization you lead and the networks you've you've seen and, and learned from, what are the obstacles and what are the opportunities? Mm. Um, the obstacles, especially initially, 
the first year I did this, there's two that stand out. And people didn't say it exactly like this, but here's what they meant when they met me. Um, who do you think you are to tell us what to do? Now, they never said it that way. They were Christian long enough to know how to say it really sweetly. But I said, oh, my goodness, if I have given you any reason to think in the conversation we just had that I think I'm going to tell you what to do. Not, not only could nothing be further from the truth, I'm, I never have, I'm never the smartest person in the room, even when I walk into a room alone. I'm just not. I'm a big believer in the power of greater ideas emerging from collaboration. And I also know these people have full-time jobs. So it has to be collaborative. And then the second one was, again, they didn't word it like this. We've seen people like you come and go. What are you going to say to that? Wow. So my answer was check, yeah. in, check in three years from now because I will still be here. I will still be here. You have to do that to earn trust. That's why this isn't fast. Mm. You, you have to show, you have to stick around. You have to be here when the fires break out. You have to break, be here when the riots come. You have to be here. And mm. um, so those are the obstacles. The opportunities, it's a very unchurched area. And it's an, mm. it's, it's an area where many people are living out the book of Ecclesiastes and they're going down dead end after dead end, but they don't think they're dead ends. They look like beautiful super highways. And they have to go down enough of those cul-de-sacs to get disillusioned with what they think life promises before they're going to ask deeper questions. And then um, mm. there's just a couple of people in the Bay Area that I'm aware of. There may be more who are really doing digital innovation. Um, one of the guys mm -hmm. we just recently worked with said, number two and number seven search engines in our country are YouTube and Reddit. He said, those are where people go with their spiritual questions, but they don't know they're spiritual. He said, every church should have a pastor of YouTube and Reddit where they're training people to go on the site and have winsome, long-term conversations to shepherd somebody through a digital spiritual journey. So, you know, yeah. the Bay Area is always thinking about innovation and that conversation just riveted me. It's like, I want to be a part mm -hmm. of helping the Bay Area grasp that and see what we can do. And then I think the last thing I want to say that is moving off that question a little bit is just we need leaders who love Jesus. I spent this last year for a variety of reasons rereading the Gospels in the Message Bible. And it's, it's amazing. It's also mm -hmm. head-scratching how far our churches have gotten from what the vision in the Gospels were. And I would include myself in that. How we've adopted mm -hmm. the American dream instead of the kingdom of God. Billy Graham said his number one regret is he preached the American dream instead of the kingdom of God. Wow. And we have to get back to that and get our shovels out and dig deepen our souls for bedrock and find God and follow him and trust that he's good and that his vision of the kingdom is so captivating. It's worth the effort. It's worth the hard parts. Um, Can I interrupt at this point where you just said it's worth the effort and it's worth the hard part? Yeah. Because earlier in the conversation, and I get it because I'm there. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm, uh, I'll write a book, but I'm going to self-publish. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> thing. I did it before. <laughs> Um, but if I were the Holy Spirit, I would say, Nancy Ordberg, please, please, please write a book oh. on how you can launch a network in your community and make it down and dirty. Yeah. Second, so Myron and I are going to partner on that and I'm going to, I'm going to work with Myron, but Myron's going to write the book. Okay. So, yep. But then the second thing that I say, because I spent a lot of time on your, your website last night, is you've told stories here that don't get told on your website. Mm. You know, specifically when I get into the to the church planting blog, mm -hmm. 
um, there, you, you have packed so much power mm. into this conversation that I didn't get. And I'm not critiquing the website. It's a great website. It's like, oh, yeah, Veronica, who oversees our website and right. is working with our Amplify stuff, has taken it from zero to 60. But we have a long way to go. We do. Yes, you do. But, but, do. but do with this in mind that what you have, you know, I, I, I have to think always in terms of I started churches. Now I can help guys start churches. Yeah. You guys have a network. How can you help people start networks mm -hmm. who are, are, are poor on, and on yes. the fringes and yes. whatever? Because what you said in this conversation, like, like, you know, early on, it takes time. Mm -hmm. And then the things that you described that you do, they don't take money. And, and the, this world leads to hear from you mm. a little bit more. So. And if, if that's the case, which I'm not convinced it is, Myron will be my spokesperson. <laughs> there will, nev there hey. will never be another book from me, but, hey, listen, but I, listen, Nancy, I, I appreciate that. I'm definitely looking forward to, I mean, seriously, I'm looking forward to hanging out with you and, um, and, 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 and just, man, I, I just think you unpacked so much. And I think you gave a lot of us hope Mm -hmm. that networks are worth pursuing yeah. church, church leaders are worth. Um, and I love what, I, what I'm specifically walking away with this from this conversation is uncommon unity. Good. Um, and, and I'm, I'm a young dude. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an older millennial, but I think um, when I was talking about what advice would you offer, offer a skeptic? Um, I'm talking about myself. Amen. Um, Yep. Because like, I'm just, I, I'm just kind of over politics. I'm over semantics. I'm a, yeah. I've always been about the word wasn't born um, in, in the church. Like I'm from the street. And so like, I can just see through a lot of that stuff, man. It just sometimes just bothers me, but I'm totally looking forward to, to hanging out with you and learning from you. And, um, you got your COVID shot. So maybe I'll come hang out a little bit. Yeah, I do. Um, if, if, if it's great. cool. Okay. Um, well, and, and if I can, I, I know you know this, but if I can end on this note, um, and I, I mean this, um, I didn't offer you hope. Um, I discovered it. And I'm telling the story that what Jesus said is true. I tell God all the time, part of why we have doubt is this gospel's thing. It's just too good to be true. We don't really believe it. And, right. you know, I have to come back to it 17 times a day if I even remember to come back to it. But it's called the good news for a reason. Mm. Uh, it's called the good news for a reason. It's yeah. good. Well, if Exponential decides to renew Ralph and uh, me and Ralph's contract with this whole practical multiplication, <laughs> yeah. we definitely, we definitely want to invite you back. Nancy, thanks so much. Oh man. Thanks uh, for the good questions. This is, this, is, this is a blast. Thanks guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to our Exponential audience, if you're live or catching a replay, um, speaking of networks, here is a great opportunity uh, here in the fall that's happening. We're, we're doing exponential roundtables. It's, it's a beautiful way to mobilize like your church, your city, the network you're in. Uh, if you want to host a roundtable, please go to multiplication.org slash host. The hub there on that website is amazing. A, a smorgasbord of topics to choose from um, that you can choose. So please go to, go to multiplication.org slash host if you're considering um, hosting a roundtable, uh, maybe your network would be or your church. Uh, we want to get as many roundtables as possible uh, because I think multiplication matters. So go there, make it happen. And again, remember that uh, 
hey, it's about uncommon unity, according to what my friend said. So, Nancy, good to have you. We'll talk Thank soon. You.